I want you to imagine yourself in a little scenario. Let's say you've just gotten off work and it's been one of those long and hectic days. You come home and exchange a few pleasantries with your significant other about how the day has been. You look around the kitchen and can tell that they're in the middle of cooking dinner. You know you should probably jump in to help, but you're just so spent from the day that you feel like you deserve a few minutes of mindless scrolling. You kick off your shoes, put your feet up, and open up your app of choice on your phone. As you do this, you can feel a shift in energy in the air. Suddenly, the cooking noises, which blended into the background before, have become more aggressive and louder. You can feel the frustration building in your partner, and you even feel a bit frustrated in return with trying to grab a few minutes of relaxation. Everything okay in there, you ask? But it's not okay. And you're about to hear it. You're always on your phone. You come in, you don't do anything, and I do everything. (sighs) All right. Let's let that simmer for a second. Check it out in your body. How does that feel? Okay, now let's replay that scenario, but this time your partner responds to you a bit differently. As you set your feet up on the coffee table, you notice your partner make their way over to you. They sit down next to you on the couch and smile. They put their hand on your leg and calmly say, Hey, I've got something I want to bring up with you. You're curious, so you tell them to go ahead. I've noticed that often when you get home, you go straight to your phone, and I end up feeling a bit resentful. The story I tell myself is that I am the one doing all of the work. I could really use some help right now and most nights when you get home. Would you be willing to be on your phone a bit less? Now, how does that one feel? Same content, but a different process. And that's what today's episode is about. How the content of the situation matters less than you think, and the process matters so much more. Welcome to Relatable, a Thrive Therapy podcast. My name is Lauren Mokeri, and I am joined by my co-hosts, Coulter Bloxham and Kayla Gensler. We are three licensed professional counselors running a therapy community in Phoenix, Arizona called Thrive. Our mission is to help you find the most connected version of yourself, and we do that through individual therapy, group therapy, couples therapy, couples workshops, intensives, retreats, and our online membership platform, which allows you to do some work on your mental health for super cheap. And this podcast is just an extension of all of the ways we go through topics on how to relate better to others, how to relate better to yourself, better to your anxiety, emotions, experiences, and so on. Our topic for today is on being relational over being right. We might often refer to this as focusing on process rather than content or focusing on the how versus the what. So Coulter, as I just listened to that vignette, that story was quite specific, and it makes me wonder if perhaps you have some sort of personal lived experience with this. Me? No, I have never received feedback from my partner about not being as attentive as they want me to be. So obviously not about me. Yeah, I think that doesn't sound true at all. (laughs) (laughs) No, so that is pretty much verbatim like an exact story that happened between my partner and I, and she responded in the second way, which was she came over. I had just exactly like I described, got home from a long day and I just like pulled out my phone and I was just scrolling on my phone and was probably knowing, okay, I should probably be helping out a little bit more, like doing a little bit more, but I'm not doing anything. And she came over and she sat down next to me and smiled and just kind of like gently brought all of that up. And it made it so much easier for me to digest her bringing it gently to me. 
go Katie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm like, hmm, she sounds like she's done some therapy work. Yeah. And that is how all of our conversations go. <laughs> <laughs> also sounds likely. Yeah. Likely yeah. True. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this is something that we decided to talk about because one of our listeners pointed something out about the first episode on questions to ask on a first date. So she told me that she had heard about some of the questions, uh, I think specifically the question, like, what is your relationship like with your family? And how the way we talked about that wasn't necessarily as much about that there's a right answer to that. Like, yes, you want to find somebody who's close with their family. It's more just about, like, do they have an organization of their story? Like, what is their process through going with this. And it made me think like most of our questions were kind of that way. Like it's just about, it's about the process. It's not necessarily about the content. And that's something that you two have taught me a lot about in couples therapy is that we get so pulled into the content of things that like people would hear that story and they would hear it in terms of like who should be helping more like who or, or you know, even the word helping at all. And like, who's right in this scenario? Like what is the right answer? But it's really not as much about the right answer for it. It's more about like the process of what is happening. Yeah. Like the process of how we're bringing something up or the process of how we're responding to something that makes me think about when we did couples retreat a couple years back and Claire and I had done like a role play for everybody where we were playing out a conflict. And as we role played it first, the like unhealthy content focused way and immediately afterwards, I remember everybody in the audience watching was like on the edge of their seat, like, I know whose team I'm on. And so I think you're right when you say it's so tempting to really get like pull, pulled in or like inducted into that like right versus wrong mentality. Yeah. It, and it's, I was sitting in the audience listening to that one and also feeling that like, oh, I know what the right answer is to this one. Yeah, and I wonder what that is that says about us just even as a species of like why do we need that determination about who's right and who's wrong and who wins and who loses? It feels really competitive. Yeah. I I think hearing you say that Kayla, I it reminds me how I'm always reminding all of us that like our brains are very binary. Like they operate in this really like this or that, right or wrong. And I had a client actually in a group recently who used this term like cognitive shortcut. Um, and I really liked that because I think it is sometimes like our brains are trying to operate efficiently and quickly. And so they're making this like cognitive shortcut to be like, oh, I have an association for this. Like I already have a narrative or a background story in my mind that this fits into, and that's going to help me get to an answer to be more efficient. And I also think that that works really well in some contexts like that. If you're not a therapist, most jobs that can be like really helpful to <laughs> be able to quickly get to solutions and answers and process like organized processes. But in relationships, that's where we tend to see that not work as well. I wanted to write a book years ago and the title of the book was going to be what makes you great at your job makes you suck at your relationships. I've heard you say that. <laughs> I think it's so, think true, so true that like we bring these sort of tools that we use in our job and, and a lot of jobs are about efficiency and like choosing the path of least resistance and what is right and how the budget should be most effectively managed, which was what your story was about at the couples retreat <laughs> was about budgeting <laughs> and how much TVs cost. Yep. And I remember you said in your story, you're like, you know, I won't say how much 
he wanted to spend on a TV, but just for sake of argument, let's say, you know, it was $10,000. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, <laughs> that is so much higher than I thought you were going to say. Yeah, that was for sake of argument. And, and also in reality, that is how much we were arguing about. <laughs> yeah, again, get pull, yeah, I, I know which team I'm on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Kayla, I've heard you talk before a bit about people expecting you as a couples therapist to be kind of like the referee. You know, they come in with the problem and it's like, well, you know, she's going to be the judge and she's going to decide what's right or wrong. And she's going to tell, you know, you how to behave in response to what I want, because I am the one that is right. But you're always trying to shift people into process over content. So from an EFT perspective, what do you feel like that means? Yeah, I actually it's funny. I was reflecting back on my own um, relationships before I get to answering that question and thinking about the first time I was ever in couples therapy and this couples therapist asked me, do you want to be right or do you want to be in relationship? And as a person who really likes to win and likes to be right, that made me pause because ultimately, I think to speak to Lauren's point a few minutes ago, you know, we're in each of our minds and each of our own individual value systems, the way that we interpret a situation is right for us. But that question about do you want to be right or do you want to be in relationship really makes you start to think about um, the fact that it's also right the way that your partner is interpreting something. And so from an EFT perspective, what we're trying to then decipher is what is each of our rights? <laughs> um, what is the emotion behind the point that we're trying to bring up? What is the way that our mind is interpreting that? What's the meaning making is the word that we use pretty often in EFT and ultimately, we're looking at the backstory, you know, where did these beliefs come from? What are the values that are associated with the beliefs that we have? And there's an acronym called TEMP that really helps us to organize all of that. So if we kind of use the fight that um, Lauren modeled for us with the TV, right, um, essentially what we would see in that is two people trying to prove the point that they're right and bickering back and forth probably about that using some protective behavior. And if we use temp, what we then would be trying to pull out is what is the trigger? So what is the content of the issue that we're arguing about? Is it the way that my partner delivered that information? Is it the tone that they used? Is it a certain phrase that I just, you know, I'm having a hard time getting past? What is that specific content or trigger, right? The E is our emotion. What are we actually feeling? Not I feel like you should, but what I'm actually feeling. I'm feeling frustrated. I'm feeling disrespected. I'm feeling unheard. I'm feeling, you know, fill in the blank. That can be a tricky one. I remember one time in a group, someone using that and saying like, I feel like you are being a jerk. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's not just licensed to say whatever you want because you said, I the feel. Feeling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's why we tend to hand out emotion wheels. Like yeah. pick one of these emotion words <laughs> right. to, to actually tune into your feelings. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, that's a, I think that there's typically a lot of emotions that are going to come up in any given scenario. So it's, I feel angry and I feel hurt, right? It's trying to pull, pull a couple of different things that we're feeling. Um, the meaning is the M in temp and meaning making essentially is like, what, how is my mind interpreting this? Um, with the TV situation, I might be thinking something like, you're not interested in hearing wh what I'm 
afraid of here. Um, there's such a big difference between the two of us. It's then trying to understand like, well, what if this, what if we can never agree on something like this? What does this mean about me? What does this mean about you? What does this mean about the relationship? We're trying to pull some of the thoughts and cognitions with the M. And then the P is the protective behavior. So what is it that I do when I'm feeling all of this? Because it happens just so fast in the way that I will maybe puff up my defenses a bit. And so I might be a little bit more critical or I might be a little bit less likely to say things at all, maybe a little bit more withdrawn um, as I'm going through a scenario that makes me feel really activated. So all that to say, the TEMP acronym really helps us to understand our own self in conflict or disagreement and try to organize that a little bit better so that we can explain that to our partner and also hear their side of things. Yeah, I think as I was listening to you break down those pieces, Kayla, I was thinking about how often I will hear, like, let's say I'm facilitating a group, and a lot of times I have multiple individual clients of my own who are in that group, and I'll have a client come to a session following our group meeting that week, and they'll share, like, the meaning that their mind made out of something, and then I'll have another client, like, two hours later who was in the same group share the meaning their mind made out of the same thing, and it's so different, and people are so convinced that, like, the meaning my mind is making about this is absolutely truth and correct. And I think that's a lot of the work that we do in therapy is helping people to slow that down and actually use mindfulness just to notice what is my mind doing about this and or doing with this. And I loved how you said too, like, where did I learn that? Where did this framework come from? Why is it that I'm interpreting something this way when somebody else might interpret it differently? And I think it's interesting too that it almost seems like hard for people to believe at first that there are different ways that all of our minds interpret something. And that is where I think that that right versus relationship concept comes from is the misconception that we all interpret a situation the same way when in fact there's so many different ways that we can interpret the same situation and so many different values that can be ascribed to that same you know conflict or disagreement that we're in that we have to be able to start to believe that there is a difference here. And that's how we start to sort of start to get out of this like right mentality. Yeah. It, it actually makes me think of the episode that we did when we talked about boundaries and the difference between like a really rigid walled off boundary or even a really boundaryless and meshed boundary versus actual healthy boundaries. And when I picture this continuum where the two rigid ways are on the ends of the continuum and then healthy boundaries are in the middle, a lot of times I will label like the two ends are about being right or they're about only one thing can be true. Whereas in the middle, when we're navigating individuated boundaries, which just means we both get to show up with our sense of self, two things are true. And that really goes against that binary operating mode of the mind. So it's it's something to really practice. This makes me think of relational frame theory, and they talk about how we are not Pavlov's dogs. So, you know, Pavlov's dogs, if the bell rings, you start to salivate, and then you want the the candy or whatever. I don't think they're giving dogs candy, but <laughs> <laughs> they were uh, the example that they use is that if you have a dog and you point to a toy, one of their toys, all the dog knows is like, I should get that toy. Like, it's just like, it's just a one-to-one reaction. But if you have a toddler and you point to the toy, they might pick up the toy and bring it to you. 
Or if they know that it's cleanup time, they might take the toy and then go put it away. And so humans have the ability to kind of like distinguish and relate to their environment a little bit differently, but we kind of act like people are just Pavlov's dogs. Like this happened and this is the correct reaction to it kind of every time. And if you're not reacting that way, then you're crazy. And the couples therapist is going to tell you that. Mm -hmm. Yep. (laughs) It's almost like you need a mantra to practice constantly in your head or get tattooed on your body somewhere that says like, there is no right way, (laughs) you know, to just remind yourself to, okay, I need to check in with myself about what is it that I'm thinking or feeling. And then can I be curious about the other person in this scenario or other people in this scenario and and the fact that they are going to have a difference here. But it's like this reprogramming of the brain in a way to remind yourself that there are lots of right ways to interpret a situation. Yeah, I think that a lot of times when people maybe first hear that phrase, like you can be right or you can be in relationship, it can inadvertently feel like, okay, so if I choose being relationship, it means I have to concede, right? It means I have to concede that I'm actually wrong or I just have to agree with something that I don't actually agree with. And so that's where the, the phrase two things are true feels really helpful to me because it's not actually about you just have to concede in order to be in relationship. That would actually be a boundaryless enmeshed approach. And that's not what we're talking about when we talk about this focus on process. We're really talking about helping the mind move to a more dialectical state where we can really hold space for, oh, it makes sense that that's what your mind did with that. It makes sense that based on the way you prioritize values or based on some of your history around this experience, that that would have been the go-to for you. And it also makes sense that my mind did something different with that. One of those things doesn't have to be wrong. We don't have to concede. The process is really just trying to understand where we're each coming from. Right. Yeah. That can be really uncomfortable for people because sometimes we arrive at a point where there's not really like a clear resolution about like what we are going to do with this, that we are going to continue to see this differently. Mm -hmm. What are you thinking about, Coulter? (laughs) I don't think I have any specific example. Hmm. In my head. Yeah, I'm just Why th- do you <laughs> do well, you have one? I was I'm thinking about some of the, like the touchier subjects, you know, like politics or religion or some of these like more extreme values based belief systems that we can get really really rigid in. And honestly, there really can feel like for us a right answer. And if our um, family member or friend has a different belief there, then that can be a place where I think defenses can get super high and you know, it it can get really rigid. Yeah, it definitely can. But that's where we come back to like the values piece, I think. So specifically when I think of politics, I think of people getting on opposite sides of the fence. So I'm just going to bring up something. This was a few years ago was the masks with COVID. And there was, you know, a faction of people that were like, I hate the mask. I'm never going to wear one. And then there was other people that were like, you should be wearing one all the time. And both sides would use a value to justify their stance. And so the people who didn't want to wear the masks, their value was freedom. Like I should be free to make my decision on what I want to do. And the other side was empathy. Like I should, I should care about other people and I should try to protect other people. And then they fight against each other and they tell each other that their values are wrong. And they say like, screw your freedom. And I think that's a horrible thing to say, because guess what? Freedom is a great value. And 
empathy is a great value. And if you come to that person and you say like, freedom doesn't matter, I guess they're just going to dig their heels in and they're just going to fight you more versus if you can come and say like, oh, I understand this for you. I understand why this is an important value to you. And so I think with some of those bigger ticket items, that's like how we get back into the process versus the content is like, we might land on different places with this. And I mean, it's tough. Like if we're talking about relationship with like family members or romantic partners, sometimes we have to really learn how to make some major concessions when we have some of those really big hangups. Yeah. Yeah. And I think sometimes we are still going to end up choosing boundaries. You know, there, there are times where it's like, yeah, I am going to choose being right over being in relationship. But I think this whole conversation about the process versus content, like it just gets missed. So people will jump there way too quickly as like a, I don't have other resources to know how to work through this. So I'm just going straight to a boundary or straight to really just being walled off. And so I think that's the value of really talking about this idea of process because it gives people more time and more space and more options to draw from in conversation to really, again, just slow this process down and realize like, oh, there's a lot that can happen in between we got triggered or activated and what are we going to do about that? Right. And there's such an easy path to just to being so walled off in a situation like you just described, culture with the masks. I mean, because emotions were so high. And if we don't have the tool to pull that, hey, what's the process here? Hey, am I being right? Or am I, you know, do I want to be in relationship with this person? And we just immediately move to boundaries. You're right. We're missing this opportunity to learn a little bit more about ourselves in that situation. What's the value? What's the meaning making? What's the emotion behind this for me? But also, being able to then see the other side of the coin for the person that I'm in relationship with. And I think, you know, if more people were practicing this, we would have maybe more opportunities to stay in relationship with people that have a very big values difference. Yeah, people want to spend like most of their time, 90% of their time talking about the T and the P. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, you know, that is, that's what we're trying to get people out of, right? That, that is, I don't know, I guess culturally, just the way we sort of have learned to speak and, and present ourselves and our beliefs is to focus on the content, you know, why all the reasons why the mask is to be worn and all the reasons that you're an idiot for not wearing it and all the things like that's all content, right? But what we're trying to really shift into is staying out of the content, the 90%, and trying to spend the majority of our time talking about what it feels like for us, emotion wheel, emotion words, what it feels like, and also the meaning behind that. You know, when I see that you're not wearing the mask, this is how my mind interprets that. This, these are the stories that I tell myself about uh, why it's important to wear the mask and, and these sort of things. That's what's actually important, not the statistics, not all the facts, not all of the you know things that we ingest on social media mostly. Um, <laughs> but really, like, what does it mean for me specifically, individually, and where do those beliefs come from? And if we were to share that over the content, it's a lot easier then to be empathetic and take perspective on the emotion and the meaning-making than it is on the content. Yeah. And I think the piece that's really crucial with the emotion there is that if we miss out on talking about how something makes us feel, then we're really missing out on some of the individual differences in just our own 
abilities or capacities to tolerate certain emotions, right? So when it comes to like how we prioritize values like freedom versus care for others or empathy or things like that, a huge part of that is going to be like, how much can I tolerate risk? How much can I tolerate fear? And then the piece that you're talking about, Kayla, like what is my background in relation to fear? What is my background in relation to safety, in relation to freedom? Those things are really going to matter and inform how much we internally feel like we can tolerate uncomfortable emotions. I noticed I was actually just talking about this in my Trauma 101 group a couple weeks ago. So in Trauma 101, there's a week where we talk about protective behaviors, which is that P in the temp that you outline. So when a trigger happens, that's the T, our automatic tendency is to go right to a protective behavior. And there's a week in my trauma group where we look at a list of a bunch of different protective behaviors and specifically how they are meant to protect us from feelings of vulnerability. And so vulnerable feelings can be diverse, right? It can be vulnerable to feel scared. It can be vulnerable for some of us to feel angry if we don't feel comfortable with that emotion in our body. Um, It can be vulnerable to feel helpless. It can be vulnerable to feel pain and loss. So when we don't know how to tolerate a certain emotion or we don't feel like we have a high capacity to tolerate a certain emotion, then our minds reach for these protective defenses to really try to Um, stop that uncomfortable emotion from coming up in our body. And what's really interesting to me when I talk about this in a group setting is that people are actually very quickly able to look over the list and be like, oh yeah, I do defensiveness a lot. I do criticism a lot. I do um, self-criticism a lot. Like here are kind of the moves that I will pull from to protect from those vulnerable feelings or to get out of the more vulnerable conversation around emotions. And then when I ask the question, like, wow, you guys are able to identify these things for yourself so easily, like you have a lot of self-awareness about this, what is it like if somebody in your personal life calls out one of these behaviors? If someone in your personal life is like, you're being really defensive right now, or you're trying to psychoanalyze me right now. And almost always people will say, oh, if it's somebody in my personal life, I'll just get more defensive or I'll just shut down and withdraw or I'll just appease and try to, you know, I'll pull another strategy basically instead of being able to practice ownership around like, oh yeah, I am using that strategy right now because there's probably something that feels really vulnerable and uncomfortable here. So I think when, you know, for those listening, we're talking about some really complex and almost ambiguous feeling topics of like, what do you actually do to move from content to process? And so I think the self-awareness piece is kind of the start of like, I need to be aware of what does trigger me when I get triggered before I jump right to my protection. Can I even be aware of like, what protections do I tend to pull from? Do I tend to go right to defensiveness? Do I tend to go right to just being agreeable or pacifying or deflecting or withdrawing? Like, what are the things that I tend to do? Can I get good at just naming and owning when I do those? And that's a cue then to my system to let me know, oh, I'm probably trying to avoid something vulnerable here or protect from something vulnerable here. And then that can create some space for us to actually organize. What is it that I'm feeling? Well, where is the meaning behind all of this? And then I can decide, is this a relational context? Is this a relationship where I want to prioritize being relational? And now I've been able to organize enough to choose to shift from that protective move towards 
a more vulnerable conversation. Yeah. Sounds really easy. (laughs) (laughs) I wish it was. And it does take quite a bit of practice. You know, even as a therapist in my own relationship there, it's so easy for me to go trigger to protection. And I think it's just like to not expect perfection here to be able to, even after the fact, like we talked about with boundaries, even after the fact, we can come back to a conversation where we got triggered or where we used protection and try to assess the meaning and the emotion on our own and come back to our partner or our friend or our family member and say, you know, hey, I realize I was critical back there. I think what I was really feeling was frustration because the way that I was interpreting that situation was X, Y, and Z, right? To be able to spend some time correcting our choice to go into protection or automatic response there. Yeah. I just think about the time to recalibrate. That's what we're going for in therapy is like, can we recalibrate quicker? Some people are never going to get to recalibrating in the moment, but like, can you do it 30 minutes later coming back to someone 30 minutes later? Like sometimes that's going to be what success looks like. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's something I teach a lot in emotional regulation work is that it is so valuable to us to be able to take a pause, take a beat, exit for a little bit in order to have space to regulate ourselves and to organize what am I feeling and what is the meaning and what is it that I really want here? And then to come back around and move into an action, which is usually some kind of communication with somebody else. So I think maybe just to like outline a couple ways that we can tangibly practice this shift There's a worksheet that I tend to use where I outline some of the disconnecting strategies that we pull for so that these would be those protective behaviors, those protective moves that we've been talking about. And then I put on the other side of that, like, here's a move that we can practice that's more process-oriented. So an example that I think is really relatable for a lot of us is the tendency to go to criticism when we don't like something. So Coulter, I think about the vignette that you shared in the beginning of this episode where the first example was this criticism of like, you're always on your phone and like, you don't care about the help that's needed and you're not present with the family. Like it's so default for a lot of us to just reach to like, here's what you're doing wrong. Here's what you don't care about. Here's what this means about you. And we just start criticizing like as though that's going to soften somebody and be like, oh, wow, you're right. I really want to be cozy and helpful with you right now. And so I think a place we can shift when we notice ourselves in criticism or about to use criticism is to, again, do that pause, check in. What is it that I'm really feeling? What is it that I'm really wanting? And I always think of this phrase, behind every criticism, there's a request. And so if I can think about what is it that I'm wanting more of, not even what is it that I want you to do less of. I want you to stop being on your phone so much. But I loved how in the example you used that Katie was able to come with a softness and relational nature and be like, I really want more help. I really want more presence from you. We respond to that so differently because it's instead of me saying, here's what you're doing wrong, here's what's wrong about your behavior or about what you care about and prioritize, we're actually being vulnerable and saying, here's something I need. I need more connection from you. I I really want more help. That's a more vulnerable ask. And I think I'm telling myself a little bit of this story in my head right now is like, I can already hear people thinking like, well why does she need to do that? Like, why does she need to make it like easier for him to digest? Like he should maybe just do that. And like, maybe that's true or maybe it's not true, but I think it's just kind of about like 
what is going to work and what is going to get you the outcome that you want. And so like, sometimes we have to choose between like, do you want your goal to, for you to be heard right now? Like, I want you to know how you have hurt me. Or do you want like the help or the person to actually change their behavior? And I don't think we're always making a choice between those two, but a lot of times I think we are making that choice of like, you're going to choose to either criticize and let that person know how you feel or you can choose this more connecting strategy. Yeah, and the the more connecting strategy is more vulnerable. It is more vulnerable to directly say, I want help. I, I really would like for you to care enough about my need for help that that in and of itself would be motivating enough. And again, with that meaning piece, of if a lot of us look back at our relationship to asking for help or being vulnerable with our needs, many of us probably experienced growing up that that wasn't the way to get our needs met, that I had to have like a really good reason in order to get a need met, or I had to earn my ability to get this need met. And so a lot of us will use really indirect strategies, like the way that I should get help is because you should know that to be a good partner according to XYZ standards now, if you're behaving right, that's how I'm getting my need met versus just knowing that me having a need is valid enough reason to ask my partner or my friend or my family member for that. Yeah. And I think, again, it's like to respond to what both of you are saying, the choice here is to be relational, right? So if we're going to choose to be righteous and you know condemn our partner for not doing you know, get home dance the right way, then we can make that choice. But ultimately that choice is not a relational choice. And then what's at risk is the connection. Well, and just to give a little bit more context to that story too, when she said that, that opened up some vulnerability in me to be able to say, cause like, I just really have trouble with that transition. Like I go from like doing therapy and managing a therapy practice and like, you know, sometimes putting out fires and then to come home and there's a three foot person who wants me to chase them around and stuff to do around the house. And I just really struggle with that transition. And guess what? I don't feel good about that. Like I feel some shame about that. I would love to just like come home with tons of energy, but like I feel pretty tired when I get home and kind of mentally drained. And, and I don't like the amount of time that, I will go to my phone or watch YouTube videos or something. So I feel embarrassed about it as well. But if she had started with criticism, I wouldn't have been able to access any of that. And I think as well, like, you know, people want to move on to the content like we can show them in therapy about where they missed in the process, but they'll just move so quickly back to right. They're like, okay, fine. Like, yeah, I yelled, but you know, (laughs) Like, let's get past that. Like, I yelled, doesn't matter. The right answer is for this. Like, no, we have to go back to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just a reprogramming of the brain over and over and over and over because this it hasn't been taught for most of us. So if this is your first time listening to this episode, you may listen to it multiple times because it's so easy to slip back into, well, what's the right answer? Let me go back through this podcast and even find the right answer here. Yeah. Or even like, because a lot of us are very uncomfortable with vulnerable emotions, sometimes even if our partner tries to do this process thing and maybe express more vulnerable emotions, we could still lean towards wanting to rescue them from those vulnerable emotions and be like, well, just here's the right answer. Here's the solution. Like we're really quickly trying to take away that discomfort. And that's part of process is actually trusting each other that it's okay to feel discomfort. And I think, Coulter, I I loved 
your authenticity just in sharing that it opened up space for you to access more vulnerable emotions to say like, actually, this is really hard for me to manage this transition. And then because I feel some shame about that, or I feel embarrassed about that, shame and embarrassment tends to actually make us withdraw more and protect more if we're not talking about that in a safe relational space. And so I think that's a piece that gets missed a lot too, is that especially if we're doing individual therapy, we're doing all of this work trying to organize like, what's my emotion and what's my meaning? And now I'm going to bring this request in a really vulnerable way. And we might miss that I also then need to make space to hear from the other person what is their emotion and what is their meaning. It's not just about now I have this right way in quotes of doing the process and I don't still have to face the vulnerability of holding space for what they feel and what they need. You know who totally understands all these concepts is network television sitcoms. Like I'm thinking of the ABC shows like This Is Us or Million Little Things because they run this same play over and over again. It's like they introduce a new character and that new character is really mean. And they're really mean for seemingly no reason. And everyone hates them. And then at some point later in the episode, they talk to that character and the character's like, the reason I'm mean is because someone really hurt me in my past. And then everybody has a lot of empathy. And so, just spoiler alert, if you have any shows that you're watching that are like that, if they introduce a new character who is seemingly mean for no reason, guaranteed they will be carving the turkey at Friendsgiving that year later in the season. (laughs) That is so true. And I did notice that the whole way through This Is Us. I was like, oh, somebody has done some therapy or done some reading about process versus content. They actually do model that really well in that show. So Kayla, I, I'm curious as we're talking about this, I know when you and I teach couples workshops, a lot of times um, we kind of break things down into like the sharer versus the listener role. And I think you're really good at speaking to that and how each of those roles look or operate as far as this like process work. Yeah, I there's this analogy. I don't know. I stole it from somewhere, someone. So if you're in the EFT community and you talked about the islands, then please know that this credit is belongs to you. But I think about that's how citation works. <laughs> <laughs> someone somewhere said this at one point, and I give you anonymous credit. Yeah. Footnote: Someone else. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell how far away from grad school I am at this point, huh? Yeah, I don't think that meets APA standards, <laughs> right? <laughs> but there's if you if you're a visual person, um, you're kind of looking at like three different islands, and one island is your island, as you know yourself, the par- partner one. One island is for your partner. And then the other island is called relationship island. And essentially what we want to do when we're stuck in some sort of disagreement, some values discrepancy is we want to organize our own temp. So we're trying to understand what what is it for me that got so activated and why, like we talked about before. So staying out of the what and moving into the why and the how why am I feeling this way? How does it feel in my body? How does my mind interpret this? And as we are trying then to take perspective, essentially partner B is coming to partner A's island. And as the listener, they are just there to learn something new. I always like to say your job there is to believe what your partner is saying. 
Your job is to believe and take in new information, almost like you were in a new country. You don't know the culture here. You don't know the background of your partner. You don't know every in and out, even if you think that you do, even if you think that you've heard this story before. It's this choice to really be curious and believe that there is a difference here and that this is sort of like quote unquote, like they're right, right? This is like their island. This is the, the way that their mind interprets things. And we're just here to learn and understand. As we're over there, it is not helpful then to share what it's like to be you and the way that you interpret things. That actually is only going to be d- done on your own island. And so as the listener, you're just there to observe and learn something new. And the same process then repeats on the other island. So if we're doing, you know, the mask breakdown, each of us is going to share what it's like to be us, what we feel, the values that are behind there, staying out of what the research says and the facts and the solutions, but really trying to get underneath what it is that we feel and the way that we interpret that situation. And each of us are going to be in a sharer and listener role, depending on which island that we're on. Only when we get done with both of those two islands do we then move up to the relationship island where we're trying then to negotiate, create rules, figure out how we want to deal with a situation like this um, as a family or as a as a partnership. But we don't do all of those three things at once. And I think that's commonly where people get stuck in this like repetitive cycling dance is trying to do everything at the same time, but instead trying to go one island, second island, relationship island, and and really making those distinct places as we're trying to process what it's like to be one another. Yeah. And so I think like for that listener role, when you're on your partner's island or your friend's island or your coworker's island to really be thinking about like the work here is just to make sure that we're understanding it well, to be reflecting back. Okay. So this is what I'm hearing you say is a really hard emotion for you to tolerate. This is what I'm hearing you say is a really important value for you. And that this is where that came from. We might be asking questions really out of curiosity when we're in that listener role. But like you said, Kayla, we're not going immediately into like, okay, so your point, but here's my point. Yeah. And then it's the taking turns, like how Coulter was naming earlier. Um, I I really love that vignette that we've been kind of talking about that like after Katie brought, here's really what I'm feeling and what I'm wanting, that it then also created space for her to then come over to your island and hear about how you can describe, yeah, I have a really hard time with this transition. And sometimes I feel embarrassed about that. And I'm going to have needs around that too. And so it's, again, just really slowing down this process. Yeah. And then only after we've both had a chance to explain what it's like to be us, do we then make some plans around how we want to do the get home dance um, differently, right? We're not going to do that all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one question that people are inevitably going to ask is, is there a time to choose being right over relational? And I would say the answer to that is yes, but I think it should be seldom. What do you all think? I think we started talking about this a little bit earlier in relation to wanting to jump to a boundary before we've had a chance to really explore each other's islands or each other's temps. And I think that 
Something that's really important to name here is that when I think of the boundary continuum and the two sides that we can struggle with, there's one side where some of us really struggle with lacking boundaries. We really struggle with kind of getting absorbed by the feelings and the wants and the needs of other people. And our trend is going to be to always agree and always say yes and always concede. And so I think if we're on that side, We do need to really be aware that this work of being relational and doing the process thing is not the same thing as conceding. It's not the same thing as just saying, oh, yes, I understand what it's like to be you, but then not bringing our own vulnerability to the table of, and here's what it's like to be me, and here's what I'm needing. So I think if we trend that way, there can almost be a tendency to use this idea of being relational as like a okay, I don't really have to do boundaries because I'm just being relational. And it's like, no, if you know that you trend that way, being relational means being vulnerable. So it's still going to be bringing uncomfortable feelings and needs to the table. And then I think on the other side, people who trend towards the walled off rigid, like it's my way or the highway, here's my boundary, take it or leave it. The work here is, again, really slowing it down and making sure that we're doing some of this process before we say, here's my boundary. I actually don't want to continue this relationship or I actually don't want to invest as much here. So I think we need to know which way we trend to kind of know like how quickly to go to a boundary or not. Yeah, it's okay. I'm going to I'm going to give us an example because I think that might help a bit. So, in a we're going to use a couple again, but in a, in a couple ship, if one partner wants to have children and the other partner doesn't, then this might be a situation where you have to discern is it, do is there a right answer or is this do I just have to figure out how to negotiate and and be relational here? And it sounds like what you're saying Lauren is the first step is I have to regulate myself and really go through my own temp and figure out, okay, what is what are what is it that I'm feeling here? What are what is the meaning making when it comes to this topic and you know, this maybe disagreement that we just both got into? The second piece of that then is to hold space to understand and believe what it's like to be my partner and where their beliefs are coming from. And then at the end of all of that is when we have to discern for ourselves, is this something that can be negotiated on or is this something that's a firm, non-negotiable belief or need for me? And that's really the whole process of it. We don't just jump to, well, you said you didn't want to have kids, so I'm out of here, right? There is a, a process for being able to interpret all of this and then make a thoughtful, intentional decision. Yeah. And I think you could even say a thoughtful, intentional boundary, right, at that point, because it that might be a predicament where somebody is going to choose being, you know, being right in the sense that like, I really do need to protect this want for myself. If it's not something that you want, then I need to exit and shift gears here. But I think you described that so well, like slowing down and going through the whole process versus either of the two, only one thing is right, where we either go to like, okay, well, whatever you want, and I'm just not going to think too much more about it. And then I might be resentful 40 years down the road or oh, it's an absolute no, and so there's no further conversation. Yeah, I think that was a great example. I don't know if my example for it kind of fits into this, what you were just describing, but I think of if there is a major transgression of one of your values is kind of how I delineate between if I need to choose right over relational. I'll just say it again, a major transgression of one of your values 
not a minor one. And so I'm thinking of like, you know, I'm if I'm at a family dinner table and somebody says something that is like overtly racist that I may choose to come back to my own values and say, I, it's not okay for me to sit here and not say anything in response to this. And I might have to choose my value over protecting that relationship with somebody else. Yeah. And I think even in that really easily triggering space, the same rules still can apply if you choose to apply them, right? So I'm thinking about, gosh, if I was at that dinner table, table, I would, I'm even just activated with you saying the example. So I know I would be activated in that situation. In in that moment, when we are triggered and activated, we should remove ourselves and try to organize what we're feeling and, and thinking and why. I mean, it's pretty obvious why we would be triggered, but there's still probably a lot more, right? What is it about this uncle who said this thing? Have I been in many other situations with them? You know, it may be more than just the specific content of why I was triggered there. There's probably some other pieces of this. And then I can make a choice, like Lauren was saying, like I can make a choice either to have a conversation with my uncle and be vulnerable, which may be risky, and explain to him what was happening for me and and make space for understanding what it's been like to be him and see if we can still be in relationship. Or I can make a choice that says, I can't talk to this uncle because I've had several different interactions with him that lead me to believe that he's not going to hear me. And I might have to have a boundary there with having, you know, Thanksgiving with this particular person. But I, I guess my point is, is like, I think even in those really triggering moments with somebody that our our values are transgressed, we still can remove ourselves and then make a thoughtful choice about how we want to proceed or if we want to have that conversation. Yeah. And the last thing that I would add to is that the other person's capacity to share what it's like to be them is going to determine how safe they are relationally. Because I think that there are a lot of times where we could be in an abusive relationship or in connection with somebody who really is unable to regulate themselves and unable to or unwilling to do the process of here's the emotion for me, here's the meaning for me, and they're going to really stay in this very like rigid mindset. And then that is going to be a cue to us that like, oh, being relational might not be an option here, even if I wish that it was. Yeah. I think that we should go into relationships assuming that most people are reasonable and are willing to sit down and hear you. I would say, I, I think as a trauma therapist, here's what just came up for me when you said that, Coulter. Like, I think that that can be true, but when we have a trauma background where maybe our nervous system has really wired in familiarity is abusive, um, we can be really drawn to other people who are not safe. And then if we're trying to take that assumption that like, oh, I just want to give everybody the benefit of the doubt when what we really need is to be getting support on rewiring what does safety actually feel like and what does safety actually mean in a relationship, sometimes we have to hold off on that assumption until we've clarified that. I think when we're better able to discern what is safe and what is not, then we can give that benefit of the doubt more often. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're looking for cues, essentially. I usually tell my clients, like, dip your big toe in the pool and see, like, how does this person respond to something, you know, minor and see if there is safety there to have this kind of conversation. All right. Well, that is all we have for you today on 
process versus content. And remember, you can either be in relationship or you can be right, which is so hard because I love being right and I love for people to know when I am right. But I also really love being in relationship with other people. And so making that choice can be really difficult sometimes. As always, if you're looking for more resources, you can check out our website, thrivetherapyphx.com. It's free to become a member and check out some of our content there. And as well, if you're in Arizona, we've got plenty of in-person groups and therapy happening here. So join us next week when we will be talking about self-regulation. You know, when you get triggered and that emotion comes up in you and you feel like maybe I shouldn't say something right now, but I'm going to kind of say something anyways. Yeah, we're going to be talking about that. So until next time.